did a job interview with Blue Man Group. <laughs> oh, fine. All right. Let's start over with this. It's easy. You guys can get it. If Y equals you. Y-S-U dot E-D-U. <laughs> no, no, what? No, again. If Y equals... The square root of 21. And you take a wrong turn at Albuquerque, you get... Pi. Pi? <laughs> yeah, pie. What kind of pi? <laughs> no. If Y equals 110 and X equals 10, Y equals 1. Y is 1. Wait a minute. How old are you? I give up. Maybe this is too complicated. <laughs> well, um, many of us have been Christ followers for a long time. Some of us are kind of new to it. But uh, I, in my particular case, I grew up in church. And through the years, I've heard one criticism leveled against Christians or Christ followers more than any other. And that is that people who are Christians are hypocrites. I don't know if you've ever heard that or not. Maybe you invited somebody to New Spring and, and they didn't know what kind of church we are because we always try to be real honest about who we are and what we are. But maybe they've been in other church situations and they, they walked away with the idea that Christians are hypocrites. And to be honest with you, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Um, candidly, I have hypocrisy in me that I work on all the time, don't you? I mean, hypocrisy is just that gap, that gap between what you say you believe and how you live your life. But have you ever wondered why Christians have that gap, Christ followers? Why do we have that gap between what we say we believe and how we actually live? I've been, uh, like I said, Christ follower since I was eight years old. I've been in church all my life. I've been a pastor for over 30 years. And here's what I've come to believe. And maybe I'm wrong about this, and, and I'm open to correction. But I honestly believe that 99 and 9-10% of, of Christians don't intend or don't want to be hypocrites. See, I think when people who look at Christians who say we are hypocrites, I think they have the idea that somehow we want to pass ourselves off as better than we really are. And so we, we like hold these positions to like kind of put it in people's faces. But you know what you're like, and I know what I'm like. I don't like the hypocrisy in me any more than anyone else does. I wish it wasn't there. Is that how you feel? I mean, if there's a gap between what you say you believe and how you really live, my guess is that you resent that gap more than anybody else. But don't you think it begs a question, though, and that is, why is it? Why is that, that gap there? Well, I know the, the first answer that would come to most of us, it would be, well, it's because it's so hard to live what we really believe. But I don't know if that's really true or not. You know, Jesus said that his, his way of life was easy compared to the other way of life. So why then do we struggle to get what we, how we live matched up with what we say we believe? I, I believe it, it comes down to this. And it's really not what my talk is about today, but I just got to give you this before I get into my talk. Um, in every one of us, there is a key drive that is a decision maker. Something drives your train, something drives my train. And whatever drives your train creates a system in your life. For instance, for some who are here today, perhaps it's sex. We live in a very sex-saturated culture. And sex drives your train. Now, there was a point at which you basically signed up to be a Christ follower. I don't mean literally signed up, but at some point you said, I want to follow Jesus. 
and you come in here and you listen to messages and you may hear me do a series like Love Affair and you can agree with what I'm saying and you're saying Mark is right and then more importantly the Bible is right and I'm going to, I really synced up with this. I really enjoyed the worship service today and I felt God's presence and, and I've learned some things that are going to revolutionize my life but you go back home and you're just right back into watching the same stuff on the internet. Or maybe you're, you, know, you find yourself you know, dressing in a particular way and acting in a particular way to garner the attention of, of the members of the opposite sex. Why is that? Because you agreed that another way of life was right, but you find yourself back living in a way that you know is wrong. Well, the truth is, nothing really changes in our life until the system changes. You can take the greatest truth in the world, but if you take it home to a broken system then you're going to find yourself back doing the same kinds of things because systems produce actions. For instance, I mean, this is just the way God created us. Your body is a system. Actually, it's a system of systems. And so whatever system you have in your body, uh, what systems that you have that are living, they dictate the actions of your body. And until that system changes, we're going to produce the same kinds of actions. So for some of us here today, maybe it's sex. And that's, you know, you're saying, I really believe one thing, but you find yourself living a different way. For others of us, it's pride. We want to come out on top. We want to, we want to be important. We want people to like us. We want, and I guess all of us want people to like us, but we like go over the top. And we try to be different people so that everybody will like us. And if you look at some of the crazy stuff that you do, it goes back to the fact that pride is driving the train in your life. You're a Christ follower, or at least you, you're here today, and you listen to the talks, and you agree with the Word of God, but pride drives your train. And you could go on and on. Whatever the system that dominates in your life is, something is driving that train, producing that system. But I honestly believe when we get right down to it that the most important, the most significant driver in our lives other than God, is money. And God put it, Jesus himself, when he was on the earth, he put it this way. He said, you can't serve two gods. In effect, what he was saying was, you can't have two drivers in your life. You can't have two different drivers of the train of your life with two different operating systems. And when he got it all down, when he boiled it all down, he said, you can't serve God and money. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say you can't serve God and sex. You can't serve God and the accolades of your peers. He said, you can't serve God and money. And why did he put money there in the place of everything else? At the risk of being crude this morning, could I just say the answer to that is that money can buy everything else. Money gives us power. Money gives us freedom. Money gives us, here's the one, money gives us the power to be God in our lives. So how do we get to the place where God is driving the train? Where we can like get our lives all lined up so that we're living with the truth that we claim to believe. God followers have had this issue for thousands of years. Because the things that you and I wrestle with today, the things that I've talked about are the same issues that people wrestle with thousands of years ago. In fact, if you read the Bible over and over, you'll, you'll find this expression where God is talking to people not to worship idols. And you may have wondered, why was that such a draw for people to bow down before stone and gold and silver images? Please understand, they weren't like torqued up about those images. What they were excited about was what those images represented. Because if you've ever studied mythology, if you've ever studied the, the gods of, of cultures, you'll know that there was the god of this, there was the god of that, there was the god of prosperity, there was the god of, you know, sex. And a lot of times people engaged in these while they were worshiping these false gods. So really, the people of thousands of years ago wrestled with the same stuff that we wrestle with today. 
But the biggest draw of all, of course, is money. And especially those of us who live in America, we're so rich and we don't know it. I mean, Americans live on a lot of money every day. It takes us a lot of money to get by. Many people in the world live on less than a dollar a day. And so for us, this is something we really struggle with, and especially Christ followers, because on one hand, we want to come on Saturday night or Sunday to one of the three services here, and we want to like participate in worship, and yet at the same time, it's so hard not to go back into a system where money drives the train. In fact, a lot of times we sort of gloss over that, but our actions reveal that what really drives us is the pursuit of money. So how do we deal with that? How have, how have God followers through the years dealt with getting the God of money off the seat, the driver's seat, and the true God in, in its place? Well, there's one answer that we can see throughout the Bible, that long before there was a church, long before there was a nation of Israel, there was something that God followers did, and, and it surely God set this pattern up someplace. This pattern is this, and this is what I'm going to talk about today. God wants you to turn on a dime. Because throughout history, what God followers have done to show that God is truly driving their train is they have brought the first tenth of everything they've been blessed with, and they've laid it at God's feet. They take the first tenth. And it's so interesting to me that God didn't just name an arbitrary figure, because there are some people who might have nothing. And God never tells someone who has nothing to bring something. The only people who are to bring something are people who've been blessed, people whom God has given something. And God followers throughout the years have taken the first tenth. And that's important because I know how I am, and I'm guessing how some of us are. A lot of us would approach God and say, well, God, I'm going to pay my bills, but if I have anything left over, then I'll bring it to you. That's like giving God the leftovers. It's like when you go to a restaurant and the server says, would you like a box with that? Would you like a bag? And so some of us, that's how we are with God. Like, well, if I have anything left over after I get through, then I'll bring it to God. But throughout the years, God followers have brought God the first tenth of everything, and they brought it to him. Why do they do that? Why why did God followers do that? Why do God followers do that today? Why did God followers do that during the time of Israel as a nation, when God worked through the sacrificial system? Why did God's people do it in the church? Why did God's people do it before there ever was a church? Here's why. God's people bring the first tenth because what they're saying by doing so is, God, I recognize that all the blessing in my life comes from you. And here's the big thing. What they were saying is, God, I'm trusting you to bless the other 90%. I want your blessing on the other 90%. Let's take a little Bible journey for a few moments. And I want to take you first to the book of Genesis chapter 14. And in this story, Abraham, who is still known as Abram at this point because God hadn't changed his name, Abram... um, had a a crisis in his life. His nephew Lot, who lived close to Sodom, had been captured by a gang of thugs. And these thugs had taken away the people, Lot and his family, other people in in this area. They'd taken all their stuff away. And Abram armed his servants, and they chased after these thugs, and they got the people back, and they got a whole lot of stuff in the process. Now, when Abram was on his way home, there was a guy who came out to meet Abram. He's kind of an unusual guy because understand this is very early in the Bible, long before there was sacrificial system, long before there was a church, there was this guy named Melchizedek. And the Bible is kind of mystical about who Melchizedek is. We just know he was a priest of the most high God. He was the king of Salem, which means the king of peace. He is a foretype of Jesus himself. And Melchizedek came out to bless Abram. And here's what the Bible says in Genesis 14, 20. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. 
That's the first instance that we read about, not that this is the first time it happened, but it's the first instance in the Bible that we read about, about a tithe being, being given. Now, in Genesis 28, we're going to move forward in time. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, is on the run because he screwed up a lot of his life and made a lot of bad choices. And he's running for his life, he's all by himself, and he's in a foreign place. Now, I want you to listen to his prayer in Genesis 28, verse 20. And then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's house or my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I've set up will become a place for worshiping God. And I will, notice how that worship goes with this, a place for worshiping God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Now we're going to move forward in time to the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. And the Jews at this time, most, most of God's people were, were, they were like many of us. They claimed to be worshiping God, and they would, they would sort of say good things about God with their lips. They were okay about singing songs. They were okay about talking about God. They were okay about going to worship. But the truth of the matter was money was driving their train. And so God had to talk to them. And so we're going to read just a kind of a longer portion of text here in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, where the question is asked, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You've cheated me out of the tithes and offerings due to me. Verse 9, you're under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be food, enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, look at this, this awesome promise. I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. This, as far as I know, is the only time where God encourages us to do something that we're going to read about here. Last part of verse 10. God says, try it. God never, ever says, try, try me. Because God operates on faith. But this thing is so big and it's so hard to get money out of the driver's seat that God actually says to his people, just try it. Try me. Look at this. God says, put me to the test. Ordinarily, God gets upset when people put him to the test. But this thing is so big that God says, put me on trial. Hand me a test. Verse 11, your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed. Now, we learned so much from that that I I could never get to everything in there. But I just... I love what God has to say about bringing that first tenth. Because God is saying, if we will trust him with one, the first tenth, that he will turn around and bless that other 90% and bless our socks off, not only with addition, but keeping us from experiencing subtraction. Hey, I listen to, to people talk almost every day of my life. And one thing I learned about listening to Americans, no matter what you're making, you can always spend more than you make. Isn't that true? I mean, a lot of us cannot believe how much money we're making today, especially if we're in our middle years, because we can remember what we started out making. And yet some of us actually did better on half the income that we received because now we're making so much money, but we're just spending it on so many things. And there's stuff that comes up. Life is expensive. And here's what God is saying. God is saying, I know it's expensive. And here's the thing that I love about when God asks us to tithe. He knows it's not easy. He knows it's difficult enough that he says, 
Try it. Try it and see if I won't bless you. Well, hey guys, I'm, I've been a pastor for a lot of years and, and I've brought messages like this and I'm smart enough to know how a lot of people are going to react to this kind of topic because people are going to say, oh, I know what this is. You're a minister and you're asking people to bring money to your church. Fair enough. But what I want you to know is I tithe like everybody else. Tithing is part of my life. I don't get a, I don't get a cut. God doesn't say, okay, you're a pastor, so you just bring 5%. <laughs> no, it's a big part of my life. Not just tithing, but giving beyond the tithe. So I, I, I'm, under the same, I'm under the same instruction that you're under. But today I, I want to just talk to you about why tithing is part of my life because it could still be that someone is going to say, well, I just, I, you know, I can sort of go along with everything else that you talk about, but this one I just don't know because I, the tithe thing, God, I don't know if I can bring 10%. Let me, let me give you several reasons why tithing is important in my life. The first thing is it helps me deal with selfishness. The biggest problem in Mark Hoover's life is selfishness. Selfishness gets me into more trouble. Selfishness says I want, and not only do I want something in my hand, selfishness says I'm closing my hand, and I want to hold on to everything that I have. That is our issue, folks. And I don't want to talk about other issues today that maybe we'll talk about in different series, but if for, you show me family trouble, I'll show you selfishness somewhere. You show me anger, anger issues, I'll show you selfishness somewhere. There's something about when I bring the tithe to God, I open my hand. Now, the great thing about this, God said this. God is saying, Mark, if you will trust me, if you will open your hand, God is saying, I will fill your hand with blessings that you're not able to receive. I am convinced of something. I am convinced that God wants to bless you. I don't, I'm not saying God wants to make you a millionaire. I'm not talking about God putting a Mercedes Benz in your driveway and leaving the keys on the hood. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm just saying God wants to bless you. And frankly, there's a lot of blessing in my life where God blesses me with stuff money couldn't buy, even if I had the money. God wants to put something in your hand. God can't put anything in your hand if it's closed. Some of us have a closed hand to God. We, we say, God, uh, this idea about bringing the tithe, sorry, I can't do that. My hand is closed. And God is sad in heaven, not because you're holding something back from him. God is sad because you won't trust him and open your hand so that he can bless you. Second reason why tithing is important in my life is when I tithe, I identify my God. When I bring God the first tenth, what I have done is I have said, God, you are God in my life. You know those gods I talked about earlier that a lot of people put on the, on the front seat of their lives? Those things are in my life. I mean, I, I want to be recognized. I want to be liked by my peers. I, sex is in my life. I'm married to a wonderful lady who's the love of my life. It's, it's part of my life. You know, money's part of my life because I need to live in a house, drive a car, eat food, not as much as I do. But I, I mean, I need that too. But the thing about tithing is what, is I, what I do is I subjugate all those other gods and I say, although these things are in my life, God is God of my life. So I identify God. Hey, when I tithe, I'm saying, God, you are the source of everything that I have. Here's what I think a lot of people think about when this issue comes up. It's like, well, should I bring... 10% of my money and give it to the church. Now, we, we ask that question because it, it's framed in such a way that we can feel better about the response we give ourselves. Because it's so easy to say, well, the church is, a, is an organization, and it's just people. 
Should I bring my money? Do you know how much money you really have? I don't know how much you have. I don't know what's in your bank account, what stocks you hold, but I know one thing about you. If Jesus doesn't come real soon, at some point, you're going to die. They're going to put you in a box, and they're going to put, you know, there's, you're going to be in church, and people are going to walk by and say, don't she look natural? And then they're going to come back to the church and eat potato salad. Now, however much you're going to take with you is how much you really own. The truth of the matter is, you and I don't own any resource. We're stewards. God has placed it in our hands. And God doesn't want you to be poor. It's just that when we bring the tithe, we're saying, God, I recognize that you're the source of everything that I have. Without you, I would have nothing. One day, Paul was preaching to a group of intellectuals in Greece. And here's what he said. He he, he made a quotation. He said about God, in him, we live and move and have our lives. If you are living today, if you're able to move, if you have a life, God has given that to you. You say, well, Mark, I did this by myself. Hey, do you know if God didn't give you the air you breathed, if God didn't give you the muscle coordination, you couldn't move around, you couldn't work to earn anything. So when I tithe, I'm saying, God, you're God of my life. The third thing that I want to say, the reason why tithing is important in my life is I love New Spring Church. God only instituted two organizations or two entities in the world. He instituted the family in Genesis and he instituted the church. And through the church, God changes the world. Organizations come and go, but church remains. Church, what is a church? A church is a group of people who band together, who follow Christ to change their environment, to change their cities, to change their families, and ultimately to change the world. And every time God's people brought a tithe, they brought it to the place. You, re- you may have seen that a few moments ago when Jacob said, I'm instituting a place of worship and I'm bringing it to the place. God's people have always brought it to the place where God was at work in their lives. You know, in our, our culture today, sometimes Christians say, well, I will bring the tithe, but I'll sort of pick and choose where I want it to go. Friend, let me just tell you this, and I know I may be talking to some of you that are not New Springers, and please, I would never encourage you to bring your tithe to this church if you're part of another church. But you need to be part of a church that's changing the world, and you need to say, I believe in the mission of this church, and I want to have a part in what God is doing. Now, at this point, I think it's important to say that it's not about the money, is it? Because God clearly owns everything. But I thought about this. For those of you who are parents, suppose that you have, let's say, a teen child or a young adult, and your, your kid is in Africa somewhere, and all of his resources are stolen, his car's taken away, his wallet's stolen, and he's over there, and you can't help him, you can't get to him, and he's about to starve to death. And let's just say one of the people over there befriended him, took him in, fed him, clothed him, kept him from being under attack, and just sheltered him. Now, that person may only make a dollar or two a day. Could I ask you a question? When you find out about that, will you just respond to that person by sending them a dollar or two or whatever they did? My guess is if they took care of your kid, and sheltered them and fed them and watched over them, my guess is you would open up your checkbook and you would do everything you could for that person who took care of your kid. God has left us in this world to make a difference. And God has said this to his people, fund what I'm doing. You're going to be home someday, and God has said, I'll make it up to you when you get home, but fund what I'm doing. And so I can tell you today, I love what God is doing at New Spring Church. 
And it may not be your church. Your church may be some other place or whatever. But you need to be in a church where God is truly changing lives. And you need to be functioned up with what God is doing in that church. The fourth reason why I bring the tithe is because in tithing, I show that I trust God. A few moments ago, I said it's not about the money. God wants your trust. God wants you to trust him so much that you will take the first tenth of the resources that you have, lay them at God's feet in the understanding that God will bless the other 90%. It's never about the money. It's always about the faith. And the fifth reason why I tithe is because of the blessing. I hear every once in a while a minister say, well, you know, I don't know that we should tithe expecting to get anything in return. Well, you read the Bible with me. God said, try it. Sometimes Christians are more religious than God, more spiritual than God. God is saying, if you will trust me on this, God said, I will open the windows of heaven. Now, either God is a liar or he's a truth teller. I am sold on the fact that God tells the truth. I've told this story before, and so if you're an old, older new springer, you've probably heard me tell this, but every time I talk about tithing, I just can't help but think about the first time it was ever an issue for me. Do you know sometimes when we're not making much income, it's easy to tithe? If you're just making a few dollars and tithe is not very much, but then you start making some money, and then all of a sudden that tithe looks huge. Why is that? We have so much more left over, but why does a tithe get so big? You know, it's, and I'll tell you what it is. It's like we're not sure we want to give God that much influence. Because money equals influence, money equals freedom, and if I give God that much influence, woo. Now, as long as I'm tipping God, that's Okay. One of my favorite stories, and I know I'm, I'm going to say a name that a lot of you may not know, but Peter Marshall was a um, pastor in Washington, D.C., and for many years he was chairman of the Senate. I think Peter Marshall was probably the greatest preacher of the 20th century in America. He was Billy Graham before Billy Graham was Billy Graham. But as you can imagine, being in the most prestigious church in Washington, D.C., there were a lot of high-income people in his church. And there was one guy who came up to him after a service and said, Dr. Marshall, I just don't know if I can continue to tithe. So Dr. Marshall didn't know maybe he had had a reversal in his life and didn't lose, lost his job. But what he said blew Dr. Marshall away because he said this. He said, when I made $20,000 a year, which was a lot of money in the, in the 40s, he said, when I made $20,000 a year, it was easy to tithe. But he said, now I'm making a half million. And he said, that's $50,000. And he said, I just don't know if I can keep doing that. And Dr. Marshall said, well, let me pray for you. And with that marvelous Scottish brogue that he had, slipped his arm around the guy's shoulders and began to call on God. And he said, oh God, my friend here found it easy to tithe when he made $20,000. And now he's making a half million. I'm praying for him today that you'll take him back to (laughs) $20,000. And about that time he stopped, Dr. Marshall said, please don't pray that anymore. (laughs) Well... It wasn't easy for me either when I first started tithing because, you know, when I was a kid growing up and got an allowance and did odd jobs and stuff, mowing lawns, the tithe wasn't all that big. But I remember the first time I got my big check, and you're going to know two things from this. You're going to know how old I am because a lot of you are going to say that's not big money, but it was to me. I graduated from high school early in the middle of the year in 1974, and God had begun to work in my life. I was actually leading worship in my church, 17 years old. Isn't that crazy? And a church in West Texas who was having a big, they used to call them revival meetings, 
They brought in a high-powered speaker, and they would oftentimes bring in a person to lead worship and lead the youth. A church in West Texas called me and asked me if I would come out to their church and lead worship and lead the youth in this big revival meeting. And I had the time of my life. I mean, I enjoyed it. I, I worked from early morning to late at night. I led all the worship, led the choir. I spoke on the radio for the first time. I led the teens in that meeting. It was a wonderful time. Got to hang out with the evangelists, got to hang out with the pastor. Actually, the church wanted to call me on staff as associate pastor at 17, which is insane, but you just had to be in those times to understand that. I would have paid them anything I had. Didn't have any money, but I would have paid them anything for that experience. They blew my mind because they wrote me a check at the end of that meeting. I didn't know that happened. They wrote me a check for $130. That was awesome. Now, instantly, when I got that check, I started thinking about what I could do with the money. The only problem was I had competing things going on that, that were calling for my money. I was driving a 1966 Ford Galaxy. It had been in an accident. We didn't take it to the body shop. My dad just went to the junkyard. He found a front end. We put it on in the front yard. The only problem was... My car was white, that front end was red. (laughs) My friends saw me coming, they didn't have to say, is that Mark? Because I had the only one in Tarrant County. So I was thinking to myself, driving back from West Texas, I was thinking, you know what? I might be able to afford a really cheap paint job to at least make this whole thing white or red or some color. But I was thinking, I don't know, boy, it would really be tight. And then I got to thinking, you know, I have a couple of ball tires on my car, and even though I'd like to see it cosmetically different, I would really need to be safe. So maybe I should buy a couple of tires for my car. And I was doing the math and thinking maybe I could afford a couple of inexpensive tires. But then as I drove on, I thought, what I really would love to have, what I need is a stereo. But, you know, electronics are cheap today. Electronics were expensive back then. And a, and a really good stereo, the kind I wanted, you know, where you could, like, feel the bass. You know, I like that. You know, when you're at an intersection, you hear it go, wah, wah, wah. Before you scream at some crazy kid, it could be me. So I just, I, I love that. And so I was thinking, $130, maybe I might be able to buy a kind of inexpensive sound system, stereo system for my room. Do you ever have like God start talking to you? I don't mean out loud. There's like just some idea that's in your head that you know isn't you and you didn't want to think that. So you know it's God. And so it was like God was saying, well, Mark, what about the tithe? And I'm saying, Lord, you you don't understand. Have you ever had a conversation like that with God? You tell the God who who spoke the worlds into existence, Lord, you don't understand. I need to educate you here. And in my best 17-year-old mind, I was explaining to God reverse tipping points. I said, God, you you don't understand that when you need something, sometimes you need every penny because just a few dollars, if it's not there, it can make the whole deal go impossible. And I explained to God what I needed, and it was like God was saying, you ever like try to push a huge boulder away? It was like God was saying, what about the tithe? Oh, boy. It had been easy when I was just tithing off my allowance. But now I had this, this check and so many things that I needed. So I remember that offering. I got to tell you, that wasn't easy. You know, I watched it come by and I'm saying, okay. And I think I, I gave the tithe, which was $13. And then I gave $7 as an offering. So I left $20 in the offering plate. And I have, at this point, I have, you know, $110 left. And I'm thinking everything I want to do is impossible. But I knew I'd been obedient. I have the same service. 
And I know my time is gone. I got to hurry, especially the 930 service. But I got to tell you this as fast as I can. You guys know me from listening to me. I'm real edgy. I like people to get right to the point when they talk to me. A friend of mine says, Mark, I know when I call you, I have 45 seconds to talk, get my message out. After that, you're still nice, but I know you've checked out of town. That's what I'm like. <laughs> He'll call me, he says, about 45 seconds up. Uh, we had this guy in our church named Roy Cox. Roy Cox, he was just a wage earner. He had a wonderful wife. They had no kids. And he was probably in his mid-50s at the time, and I loved him, but the only problem was every time Roy told a story, it was like there was this big gap between every word. He would come up to me and say, little brother, and he'd rock back and forth, you know. And so he came up to me after service. I thought, oh, boy, Roy's going to tell me a story. It's going to take 45 minutes, but he didn't. Roy came up to me, and he said, little brother, could I, uh, could I have your car keys? Well, that wasn't usual. I said, well, Okay. I reached in my pocket and got my keys. Had to ride home with mom and dad that day. I thought, dad, dad said, why are you riding with me? I said, well, Roy Cox asked for my car. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> when Roy brought it back to me, it was all white. Now, I hadn't told anybody that I was praying about this. Now, it was pretty obvious what I needed. But, I mean, my car had been like that for a year and a half. And Roy brought it back, and it was all white. He said, I just want to do something for you and gave him back the keys. I said, God, this is awesome. I'm counting my money. I have $110. I don't even have to worry about the paint job anymore. I'm promising you, the next Sunday, I'm still thinking about this. You know, I'm doing the math. Roy comes up to me, same guy, after service, rocks back and forth. Little brother, may I have your, I had him halfway out at that point. <laughs> Roy said, when I had your car painted, I noticed you had a couple of bad tires. He said, I got a friend in the tire business. When he brought it back, my car had new tires on it. I was saying, God, this is awesome. I got $110 now to buy a stereo. I'm pricing it. Get a phone call from a friend. Hey, Mark, I don't know why I'm calling you, but he said, you know, there's something going on. The, the Akai company, Akai Electronics Company, Japanese electronics company, he said they've got a high-end stereo that they were going to market in the United States. They've decided not to market it. It's over in Richardson, Texas in a warehouse. If you'll take $59 over there, you can have the top-end stereo in box. And I drove over there, got a high-end stereo, $59, still have money left over. Hey, listen, when God decides to bless you, he knows how. Three things I wanted, never told anybody. Well, listen, I'm through. By now, and that's been 34 years ago, the car is long gone. Tire's probably been burned. I have no idea what happened to that stereo. All the stuff, see, all the stuff is gone. Do you know what remains? Can you hear the passion in my voice when I tell that story? That's what remains. What remains in my life is that God loved a 17-year-old kid and wanted to teach him a lesson about if God really wanted to bless him, he could bless his socks off. God taught me to trust him. I'm cautious about this message because I know some of you may not be Christ followers and I'm not talking to you. And others of you may not be part of the life of New Spring and I'm not talking to you really other than you need to do this with your church. But for those of you who are New Springers, I could be talking to somebody here today and you're saying, Mark, I would love to tithe. But I know how we Americans are. 
We max out the credit cards sometimes. We get ourselves in a lot of trouble. I could be talking to somebody here today, and you're saying, Mark, I would really love to tithe, but there just isn't 10% there. Could I offer you a suggestion? I got this idea because a lady came to talk to me many years ago, and this was out of my mouth before I realized it. And I wondered if I'd told her the right thing, but later on she gave testimony to what God had done in her life. And when she came back and told me what God had done, I thought, I'm going to remember this. This lady truly wanted to tithe with all her heart. It was in her heart to do it. But she just didn't have the ability to do it at the time. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, do you have 3%? She said, yeah. And I said, here's the thing. If you want to tithe... And that's really big because some of you are saying, oh, Mark just made a deal with me, 3%. Bingo, I'm into that. No, no. If you want to tithe, would you be willing to bring that, whatever figure it is, whatever percentage it is, in, the say, in saying this, God, as soon as I'm able to do it, and I mean really able, don't play games with God, but as soon as I'm able to do it, I'll bring you the entire tenth. And what she told me was, she did that by faith, and within just a few weeks, God blessed her to the place where she was able to do it. Because at the end of the day, God doesn't need your money. Price of gold's going nuts, isn't it? The Bible says God paid the streets with that in heaven. It's not about your money. It's about your trust. People hadn't cheated God out of money in Malachi. They had cheated him of their trust. So I'm, I'm glad you came here today. This whole series has been about turning your life around. And I've given you five things, and I promise you, If you do those five things by faith, you can turn your life around. It'll be revolutionized in a way that you won't be the same person this time next year. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for us today that whatever decision we need to make in our lives, whether it's relational to what I've talked about, one of the other topics, or even if there's someone here today who needs to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, help us to do that. Lord, may we not wait. If, if, we're, if it's time for us to be baptized and we haven't taken that step, if you want us to be part of New Spring and we haven't taken that step, Lord, whatever step it is, help us not to toy with steps, but to do today what we need to do. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to the greatest people in the world. Work in our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm awkward about this, so let me just, could I just give a few words here before we receive the offering? I know we've talked about giving today. And so, you know, as I do that, don't feel like, uh-oh, I got to really act, I got to really give here. I got to do something. For one thing, I realize that many of us are going to need time to think about this. Others of us don't give every weekend because our giving, so, you know, please don't look around and say, oh, who got this message? Please don't do that today. It's just time now for us to bring our weekend offerings and tithes that we bring every week. And so I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and receive that. And then while they're doing that, by the way, the envelopes in the back of the pews, while they're doing that, there's some great stuff going on at New Spring. Could I just tell you that next weekend we start one of the most important series I've ever brought in my career. It's called Silence. Every person who's followed God for a long time has been in a situation where it felt like God wasn't, wasn't talking. And so next week we're going to start a three-week series called Silence. Uh, GodIsSilent.com is a great website. You can read how people are posting about their own experiences. You'll see more about that in the next few moments. God bless. Thanks for being here this weekend.